I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello. Before we start this episode of the MMA Fan Podcast, we need to tell you about our sponsor, Free Train. Free Train do these fantastic running vests for you to run in, hit the bag in, and they keep your phone close to your chest No more do you need to have your phone rumbling around in your pocket when you run or at an awkward angle on your arm. You can keep it on your chest with easy access to your phone whenever you go training. And uh, what can the people do, Stu, if they want to get a vest? Simple. Head over to www.freetrain.com. Have a look. See what you like. And when you pop it in the basket, just before you check out, pop in the code MMAFAN. Save yourself 10%. I mean... Don't ever let it be said we don't spoil you here on this podcast. www.freetrain.com. Go check them out. Excellent stuff. Right, on with the show. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I didn't do the jazz hands. <laughs> no, you did this really long pause and then like a weird intake of breath. And I was like, you paused for so long. I was like, should I introduce it? You paused for such a long time. <laughs> oh, dear. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Anyway, uh, that voice you heard there uh, taking the piss out of me right from the get-go is Blake Harrison. I'm Stu Whiffin. We'll be your host. But more importantly, we've got a ace guest, right? Oh my God, we're so lucky to have him so soon after such a big win. We have Paul Craig on the show after uh, his amazing performance at UFC 263 where he, uh, anyone that watches it will see, you, 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 I, I showed my wife this the other day, she was kind of watching it through her eye, through her hands. She watches everything through her eyes. Most humans watch things through their eyes, but she was watching it through her hands. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, she, she could barely watch it. I mean, Paul Craig dislocating Jamal Hill's elbow. Yeah. It looked broken. It looked like it just snapped with a vicious armbar in the first round of, I think, was it the opening fight of UFC 263? Yeah, I can't remember if it opened yeah. the main card, but I mean, what what a... What an amazing fight. And he's on, he's technically on a four fight win streak with a draw with Shogun thrown in there. But I think of it as a five fight win streak because if anyone remembers that first fight with Shogun Hua, it was a draw in Brazil. The judging was suspect. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, so I mean, he's flying high at the moment. Scotland's Paul Craig on a, what I would consider to be a firefight win streak after an amazing performance. We're lucky to have him on the and show. He's an absolute diamond. He really is. We have such a lovely chat and we get a real insight into uh, Paul Craig, human being. And, uh, you know, we, we, we really find out a lot about, you know, who he is outside of the octagon. Let's just get on with it. They're bored of listening to us speak. Let's bring on Paul Craig. Sorry to interrupt this episode. We've just got to tell you all about our new sponsor, Feel Supreme. They're a nationally recognised brand who offer only the very highest quality of natural supplements. Their extensive range includes a range of medicinal mushrooms, nootropics, anti-aging products, gut support products, green powders, vitamins and much more. Yep, they've worked with fighters from all the top promotions including UFC, Bellator, Brave and Cage Warriors with a solid reputation of providing results. So check them out on Instagram, which is at feel underscore supreme, or their website, www.feelsupreme.co.uk, and make sure you use the code MMAFAN for a cool 15% off your first order. Don't say we don't spoil you. Back to the podcast. Hey, Paul, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you guys. No, Paul, it's really lovely to talk to you. Thanks for taking time out of your day to, to chat to us, mate. No, it's an absolute pleasure, man. I'm a fan of you guys, man. You're doing a... It's good to see an MMA podcast based in the UK. And it's just... It's fans. It's proper yeah. fans. And it's proper fans. So the, what you're doing is great, man. I love you. Oh, that's it. really kind of you, mate. Thank you very much for saying that. Um, so you're, you're, are you quarantining at the moment? Is that what's going Because you've come back from Vegas. Yeah, so it was a 10 days quarantine. So uh, first two days, I have to do a test day two and then day eight, which is today. So I need to do my test today. But the government does a five-day release thing. So you pay an extra £100 yeah. and you can go into general population again. So it was, it was a no-brainer. Uh, and that was so I could go and meet some of my friends and have a yeah. few beers. So that was uh, the weekend there. So I'm just glad to be back to normality. But as you're saying that, see the US, the US is normal. The US is just running everything like there's no COVID. The guys aren't wearing masks. All pubs, all nightclubs are open. Like, I was in a nightclub, which I've not been in in probably about five years. Like, I'm talking, you couldn't move in this nightclub. The place was packed. Yeah. And there's me in the middle of the dance floor swigging bottles of whiskey. Wow. But I mean, I mean, obviously, they're doing so well with it. I mean, they haven't exactly got the, the, the highest COVID death rate I think they've got, is it, in America? So, you know, they, they clearly know what they're doing, don't they? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I think Thin, we'll thin the, the American population. Oh, Jesus. That's, uh, well, let's, the, let's move on to happier subjects. So. But, but you know what? Speaking about that quarantining thing, I did, I, I did a job in Kiev a little while back, and I did the, did the same thing. You did the two-day test, then you paid extra to do the five-day test so you could go into general population, but you've still got to do your day eight test. Yep. Did my five-day test into general population, and on day seven, I got a text from NHS saying you've been uh, in contact with someone from covid you have to isolate <laughs> so i was i was out for a day <laughs> i was out for one day and it turned out that someone on the flight from kiev had tested positive for covid so even though i knew i didn't add it i'd done multiple tests and all that stuff because there was other people on the um, on the crew and the cast that all got the same message and we were like oh this is absolutely typical that we've got our day to cut we can now go out been out for one day and then you have to go back and complete your isolation anyway 
because uh, someone on the flight tested positive. I know that was the, I, I'd come back and I'd pick my daughter up from the childminder and uh, I'd say that to her because we were tested every single day when we were in uh, uh, Arizona. Every single day we had to get tested and then a test to get back on the flight and then as you're saying about the two days, eight days. So I come back to pick up my daughter from the childminder. So I was pretty confident that I didn't have it. Come back for the child minder, child minder saying, Oh, one of the kids is away to get tested. And I was like, Are you winding me up, man? I've been in the state. I've been I've been doing what I want, and then I come back to the UK and I catch it. So it turns out it wasn't. But uh I it's it's a it's a scary time we're in at the moment, man. So it's uh, it's glad I'm I'm glad to be traveling yeah. the world within the last year, you know. People are like this is a dark side of COVID. Like people are losing members of family, people are losing businesses. I really can't complain because I ended up touring half the world last year. You know, I was in Milan, I was in Las Vegas, in Abu Dhabi, uh, in Warsaw, and Poland. So I really can't complain whenever there's there's so much uh, bad stuff happening in the world, man. So I'm I'm in a good no. place. What about you guys? How do you enjoy uh, the lockdown? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, work-wise for me, it's been pretty rubbish, but it's meant that I've started this. So, you know, <laughs> peaks and troughs. No, but but genuinely, and I know it sounds weird, there's little silver linings to everything, and there's people out there that have had such an awful time either with employment or losing family members and just, you know, mental health obviously has suffered massively as well. And these are, these are huge things. And, you know, it's 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 easy for someone in our positions to say, we found a silver lining in it it's obviously not for everyone when when they're dealing with far bigger issues than we are and you know with with work for you you've been able to to, to carry on because the UFC's done a great job of, of being able to put safe events on for fighters and production crew and all that um and I've done a little bit of work more recently but uh but yeah it's it, it's 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 had its its ups and downs but you can't really complain when I've been able to to start something like this up and uh, and I'm talking to people that you know I'm a fan of yours and I've we've had so many uh, uh, uh fighters on now we've been so fortunate yeah. to get great fighters on that that we you know watch from because we are as you said earlier we're just fans we're not yeah. you know we're we have not really got any contact with the sport other than like every now and again hitting pads with someone that's like, oh, I've, I've got Stu in or Blake in today. This is going to be an easy one because they'll get tired in five minutes. And that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's like our, our contact with the sport other than just being massive yeah. fans of it. So, so to be able to kind of set up something like this during what is, you know, a very difficult time has, has really been massive for me. I, I genuinely think it's helped me. Sorry, Stu, I'll keep rambling on. I'll let you talk in a minute. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> but but genuinely, like, and we're getting a little bit deep, but I, I think doing this has massively helped me mentally because, yep. um, you know, work has been hard to come by. Like, I don't know how much you know about like acting and stuff, but they're doing, there's a lot of self-tapes now. So whereas beforehand I might go into an audition and be competing against 10 to 15 other people for a role, now they're like, oh, we'll just send it out to people online and they can tape at home. So I've got like my wife reading the lines off camera while my phone's set up on a tripod and everything. And then you send it in and you don't know whether you're doing it right because you're not the director. The director might have a completely different idea of what the character should be. So normally you'd be in the room and they'd go, oh, that's great, Blake, but I saw it more like this. And then you can change it and do it. And that's what acting's about. But um, in this situation, you just do it, hope for the best, but you know that it's probably gone out to 40 other people. So you're, you're so much right. more com- competition 
for probably less jobs because there's still smaller jobs that aren't starting up with like theatres particularly and stuff like that with the pandemic. So doing this has, has given me something else to, to focus on, you know, and it's been a, a real, real help to me. It's definitely way forward, I think, see for like podcasts and and putting yourself out there and interacting with fans and interacting with as many people as you possibly can. I think podcasts within the last 10 years have been a step forward and a breath of fresh air going back for like when we were kids, it was a radio, you know, when you had like a proper disc jockey. So who had these feet, boys? Let's go. Now we're actually getting real. Aye? But it's now we're getting real people who are uh, telling their experiences, man. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. We've seen that. I, I love, I love seeing guys starting podcasts and I love hearing about positive successes in it. Yeah. So uh, he's doing that, as I said, he's doing amazing. Yeah. I just want to say like, look, for, for, for my work, I run a nightclub and, and it's obviously been shut for, you know, a long time now. And I was really excited to ask you about your recent fight and your career. Now I just want to know what it felt like to be shoulder to shoulder in a packed nightclub swigging whiskey. That sounds way more <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> it's funny, it's funny they, like, so I don't have many like star-studied moments, you know, when I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with other athletes or any of that kind of stuff. But in this nightclub, there's me, there's Idril Adesanya, there's Leon Edwards, there's Jimmy Manor, who, who I've, I've, I've trained with and, I've, and I'm a, I, I see him as quite a, quite a friendly guy and then we're, we're, we're quite close. Um, like fast forward a couple of hours and then there's me and Jimmy Manor, absolutely steaming drunk with this bottle of whiskey. <laughs> like, we were, just, we were just giving his bottles of proper 12 whiskey. Now, I, I enjoy drinking whiskey, like I really do enjoy it and I enjoy it quite, I enjoy it neat. Not out of a bottle and not swimming. <laughs> so, Manny came to a crashing end after that fight. I got a phone call from, uh, sorry, I woke up the next morning, Sunday morning, woke up like, how did I get home? And uh, my coach, Brian, he's like, um, I had to come and get you. And I was like, where was I? And he was like, lying in the middle of the street. And I said, what? He said, the UFC phoned him and said, Brian, you're going to have to come and get Paul. He's lying in the middle of the street. And, uh, a limousine just pulled pull, pull up and kicked him out. <laughs> so this is like this thought, uh, I've made it. That's, that's my life complete. I have actually been kicked out of a limousine. <laughs> in the middle of a, I'm in the middle of, a, middle of a, a sidewalk and uh, it's taking three people to get me to my bed. So uh, that's my rotten room story. Wow. Wow. Well, that's it. You've made it now. There's nothing left to do in life. You've been kicked out of a limo. I know. <laughs> I know that's, that's exactly that. But it's like, so it was... Um, it was just a surreal night. Ended up in this penthouse and it was like a it was like a proper American moment, you know, the DJ's on on in the corner, there's bottles of champagne just getting popped and everybody's just partying. And then there's me, just like bewildered at this point, just still with this bottle of whiskey. I had probably about two bottles of whiskey myself. And uh straight whiskey is uh, is is rocket fuel. So that's how my night came at a crashing end. And then we get back up. In the Sunday morning, we did it all again. Oh, wow. Well, you had a lot to celebrate because it was a huge win on a huge, huge yep. card. And, I mean, normally we'd start this podcast by going, Paul, tell us how you got into MMA and all this stuff. But the the, the moment is all about that that fight at UFC 263. And I, I think what, what happened to Jamal Hill's arm as well was a big, big part of that. And the fact that it happened in the first round, um, can you can you tell us how that stoppage felt for you? Because there has been a few um, noises made about the ref and the stoppage being late and stuff like that. How, 
How did you feel about it? Yeah, like for, so first and foremost, this was this a long time coming. Like I've been I've been training in the USC for four years. Four years I've been grafting and I've been fighting these unbeaten fighters, and I've not really had my you know. I've worked my way up, progressing. You know, I believe I beat Shogun Hua the you first did. time. I saw I it. You definitely time. did. <laughs> like, I, I absolutely lit him up, man. And uh, took that. We took that in like seven days' notice. It stitches my eyes. So I, I'd worked really hard to get to this point, and I, I feel like I paid my dues. And then it came to the point where I'm fighting a guy who's beat OSP and beat him convincingly, and then he's only other two fights prior to that in the UFC when you're comparing my 11 fights that I've had in the UFC. So I just feel my journey was a little bit harder than his. I've faced a lot of, a lot of like, stone walls where I've had to try and push through these. I've been knocked out twice, uh, once in my hometown and then one, once in America. So I've had a really, I believe I've had a really tough uh, journey to this point, whereas I don't think Jamal has. Jamal's been the hammer, never ever been the nail. I've been the nail many a times and I've came back for being uh, the nail. Uh, so... When we got offered this fight way back in December, um, we snapped the hand off it because the jiu-jitsu hadn't been tested. And we knew our jiu-jitsu, if, if it's not one of the best in the division, it's up there, definitely up there. So once it came to our fight, it was booked for March, and then it was cancelled due to COVID. Jamal had caught COVID. It was then moved three months later. So that was six months doing the exact same thing every single day, working the same positions, the same movement patterns, all this kind of stuff. And it's like drillers make killers. The Bruce Lee line where it's like, feel the man that does uh, one kick a thousand times, and it's about re being repetitive and doing the same thing over and over again. And it just showed in the fight. So when we... When we uh, took up that uh, octagon and I'm stepping forward and I fling my jab and then I clinch with him, I just felt a lot stronger than him. And I and it's like, at that moment, you feel him and you're like, oh, this is going to go my way. I am, I love being the hammer. And then it was a case of just dragging him in the mat and working on what I've worked on before. And um, we've seen it in when I fought Kennedy and Chuck, who used the exact same setup, the mirror lock to throw him off and then to look for that triangle. I used the same setup again in uh, my fourth fight in London against Majimegov and Kalaev. Um, so it's, it's a move that, that it's my bread and butter. So when I fired that up and the transitions were there, when it came to passing that arm across, like I can create a lot of pressure. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On that, um, what is it? The Give me a lever and a place to stand and I'll move there if I leave her long enough. And that's exactly what this was like. Pushed that across and then the arm went. At that time, I thought the arm had snapped. I didn't realise the elbow had just dislocated and came out, but it was flat my boot like a bit of spaghetti. <laughs> so I go to the referee, I go to the referee and I'm like, it's broke, right? But at that point, you need to remember that referee doesn't understand Scottish. <laughs> and especially, especially like a, a hyper Scottish guy was like, ah! <laughs> so the, the guys just probably thinking this is a war cry. So I, I, I can't blame the referee because it's such a tough sport. To be a referee in any sport, be it football or be it um, American football, baseball. Now, there's times where human error is going to come in and there's going to be that element of he's made a mistake. But in our sport, when he makes a mistake, it's pretty catastrophic sometimes. Mm. It results in maybe somebody getting knocked out or more elbows getting landed or more headshots getting struck. But for this point, it was the broken arm. And then once I'd actually... Uh, realised that I was like right I just need to finish this fight I'm not going to win with a submission and I just need to stop the fight so it was just a case of dropping some punches and dropping some elbows until uh, the referee stepped in but in that moment the referee I don't like blaming the referee because the opponent said as well Jamal could have tapped at any point and said listen I've had enough but Jamal was one of these guys who was going out in the shield whereas he posted that he posts up and uh, I've got a triangle locked in and he starts dropping these absolute bombs to my face so if I'm a referee I'm looking at that and I'm thinking right he's fine he's safe he's still trying to fight he's still active so he put all the blame on the referee I find it very difficult but for me an amazing win and an amazing an amazing opportunity to push me uh, on in my career yeah there was a bit of animosity before the fight as well and I remember watching the embedded mm. and he seemed to come over to you and you were just, again, editing can happen and all that stuff, but you just seem to be standing there and he's come over to you yeah. and all of a sudden it starts flaring up into a proper argument that seemed like it was started by him. Yeah. And it was just bizarre. So, like, I think most fans were watching that going, what's happened? What's he said? What's going on? And then I think Jamal Hill says that it's personal before the fight and stuff. Yeah. So. From your perspective, can you tell us what was going on or, or what happened there, why it was personal for him and stuff? So 
we have a, a media day, we call it, and basically it's a day where all the fighters are going back and forward, and if you're on the main card or somebody wants to speak to you, this is your day to speak to the media. And you do stuff like you take pictures because we've all got the new Venom gear, so you have to take new promotional pictures, you have to test out all your gear. So there's this day where it's basically, it's, it's a horrible day because you're getting shipped, you're getting pushed for pillar to post, you're talking to different people, and you're still making weight because you're still actively trying to make a, 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 a weight. So I was still trying to cut like five kilograms at this point. So I'm getting ready to sign posters. They do these big, massive posters. You sign them and then they, they uh, pull the next one. And I think it's something like 500 posters you've got to sign. So I'm in the process of doing this. And uh, Jamal comes over to me and he's like, who's your dealer? Now, I, like, I couldn't think out what it was he was trying to say. Like, my, my, my dealer? And I'm quite taken aback by this. And he's like, yeah, because he, then he starts saying, like, I must be on drugs, think I'm going to beat him and all this kind of stuff. That At that point, I realised this guy's more emotional than I thought he was. He had to come up to me and he had to kind of measure himself up for me. So I was, I was cool, calm and collected. Like, at this point, I'm in no interest to fight. We've scheduled to book the fight on Saturday. And then all of a sudden, he then kind of steps up to me. And then the place just kind of erupts and people are grabbing each other and trying to, the, the UFC corner guys are trying to get involved, the bouncers are trying to get involved. And then it, it, they have to start pulling him away and then that then resulted in us having security guards. So we had two security guards with us all the time. Jamal had this big muscle dude, you know, like where his ears and traps, so his <laughs> neck was like this. He dismounted me a guy, right? And they gave me the smallest, skinniest guy there was. Like, he was literally lucky if he was like five, four. Like, I don't know if he's like a trained killer or something, but his hands are, hands are deadly weapons. But if two guys, like me and Jamal, are going to town, he's, this guy's doing nothing. This guy's doing nothing. And I go up to the UFC and I said, hey, why did I get the wee guy and he gets the big guy? <laughs> we know you're no kicking off. We know he is kicking off. So I, I see this as a job and I see this, that's the way I run it. I run it as a business. I run it like if I'm not out training, then I'm not making money. And the only way I can make money is if I put in the, the right hours. It's the same as any business. If you don't put in the hours, you don't make the money. So every morning I get up at my 6 a.m., do my 6 a.m. session. Sorry about this. Decline. Sorry. Right. Uh, so if I'm not putting in the hours, then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to progress. Whereas I... <laughs> whereas Jamal, Jamal's at the process where he's still trying to find his feet and I was there going back four years ago where I didn't know where I f fitted in the UFC I wasn't sure if I belonged there and it took me a long time and I think Jamal was just at that at that point there and I, I do believe he's going to go on and he's going to be a title contender but just I had his number and I believe that anybody I come up against I'm, I'm going to have their number um, that then the whole emotion thing was then highlighted to me at the end of the fight. And it was the reason he was as emotional as he was, is he felt I was disrespecting him and my fans were disrespecting him. He had some messages uh, and they were racial. Uh. And like, there's there's nobody, nobody condones that at all in this sport. And that's why I said, I was like, if these people are claiming to be my fans, they're no fans of mine. Like, I, like, MMA is one of these sports where it doesn't matter what colour, creed, sex you are, who you fancy or any of that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't matter. It's just about two guys going to war, basically. And I find it difficult and I find it upsetting that he has to go through that kind of stuff. And especially in this day and age, and especially with what has happened recently, it's just, 
I didn't think people would just attack somebody for that reason, and that's what they were doing. So I understand why it was personal to him, but I didn't realise that until after my fight. And I apologised to him, and I, as I said, it's not my fault. I can't control what people, what people's narrative is out there in the social media, but as I said, there are no fans in no, mind. Well, I, I mean, that's just so unfortunate to be happening. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful for, for him and anyone to have to deal with that kind of stuff. But it's, I mean, that's awful as well. People saying that they're in some way connected or representing you by being your fans and using that kind of rhetoric and language that, you know, you would never condone. And, uh, 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 and uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing I did see was that you wore the, the rainbow coloured uh, name on the shorts. I mean, you, you just mentioned there that, you know, as far as you're concerned, MMA is for absolutely everyone. And I think one of the probably most, from the outside looking in as a fan, when you see, we, we spoke about, me and Stu spoke about it recently. Um, when it comes to a lot of the trash talk, unless you've got someone like Colby Covington or someone like that, that is pushing the envelope in certain areas to, to put it in a, in a polite way. Um, then most of the kind of very disrespectful things that you get can be sometimes bordering on the homophobic. And I was, um, really, really pleased to see that yourself. And I think Hill did it as well to his credit. Yeah. yeah um, had the, the rainbow colored shorts on and I, I wasn't necessarily paying a huge amount of attention to too much of it throughout the, the night. But I, I think more people didn't do it than did do it. So I, I think credit to you for, for going out there and, and, and doing that as well and, and to try and um, put it out there that, you know, as you say, MMA is for everyone. It doesn't matter about race, sexuality, any of that stuff. If, if you're into martial arts and you want to watch it or get involved in it, then, then it's for you. And I just wanted to say credit to you for, for doing that. Was, was that a, an, an easy decision to make because there was lots of people not doing it or... It's for every day in the week, you know. Um, if it can raise just that little bit of awareness, I'm not saying, like, I'm changing the world. Like, oh, because I wore that, I'm changing lives. I'm not. What I'm just trying to say is, like, it doesn't matter what you are. Mm. Just be happy in your own skin. And I think this is this is an ideal time to, to have it seen. You know, when people are wearing the jackets and it's all over the TV, it's in America, worldwide. So I think it's a great opportunity. And it, for me, it was like a no-brainer. We've got uh, a train with a lot of guys... And I train with a lot of girls who they are in, they, they fall into these brackets and to represent them uh, is, is, is an honour. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something earlier. When you, you, you stood there, when you said you were standing there in uh, the nightclub, just thinking, wow, what's going on here? And then you mentioned uh, not that uh, long ago as well that um, you'd been questioning your place in the UFC in the past as well. With that in mind, do you think that's that's sort of like an imposter syndrome, and and how have you sort of learned to sort of manage that? So when I, I first started my career, I was uh, twenty five. I was round about the age of twenty five, and it was easy. MMA for me was very very easy. Um, I beat everybody in the first round. It ended up going to be Bama, who was like the top organisation in the UK at the time. Um, Cage Warriors were taking a hiatus at that moment, so Bama had stepped up, filled that mantle. And I had ended up fighting a top prospect in Carol Moore, ended up beating him. He went on to be the Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion and the heavyweight champion. So a proper stud. And then I then fought the Bama champion and I beat him in one round as well. So I had this nice, easy journey. There was no, there was, 
there was nothing stood in my way. And then we get a phone call for the UFC and I accepted that. We went away to California and the same again, second round submission, had beat an unbeaten prospect and uh, Henrique De Silva, who had knocked out quite a lot of his opponents. So when I got to the when I got to the top, which was UFC and beating an unbeaten opponent, then what's next for you? You think you're the man? Like, mm. oh, this is easy. I've completed this game. But what I didn't realise was I didn't have enough ring experience and I didn't have enough time uh, in the actual training. And from that, I ended up picking up two losses, going up against uh, Tyson Pedro, uh, who beat me in the first round in Vegas. Took it really bad then. And that's when you kind of, your, your doubt starts to wobble. You know, you don't believe you should be there. Is this right for me? And then I then went and fought in Glasgow straight after it just because I wanted to rectify that loss. But mentally, I wasn't ready. Like, I was the probably the lowest I've ever been in my life. And it's hard, you know, we speak about mental health uh, nowadays. And at that point, I didn't want to speak about it because I didn't want to look weak to any of my friends and family. Because... I'm in a sport where it's quite a tough guy sport and we like to pretend we're tough guys. So I had nobody to speak to. And I then went on and fought in Glasgow, ended up getting knocked out, just sheer fear. There was nothing else than being absolutely terrified of getting beat again, which resulted in me getting beat. Coming to the last fight in my contract, and it's that point where you're like, ah, that's it, game over. I am not going to be a UFC fighter. Everything I've worked for is now just out the window. I remember walking out in London, um, my last fight my contract, fighting this unbeaten Russian who they were tapping as the next Khabib. And that was the kind of point where I was like, it's all or nothing. I either go 100% and give it my all in this fight or I just give up and just uh, fade off into the sunset and, and never be an MMA fighter again. And that was the kind of, you know, the phoenix rising through the ashes. And I took nothing but an absolute pacing for 15 minutes. Like, like for the vast majority of the time, he broke my rib, oh. he'd uh, busted my nose, I had a hole in my chin. But it was one of these, it was one of these phoenix rises, rising through the ashes. And I, I absolutely pushed everything I had in that to get that last second submission. Once I got that submission, there was this, right, I need, to, I need to totally change everything I'm doing. I need to change how my training's going. I need to change my attitude. And then that's when I started to find a bit of success, you know. And But I genuinely believe that it was going to be a game over for me. And at that point, I wouldn't have went anywhere else. I wouldn't have went to a lesser promotion like some European or some top US. I wouldn't have done it. I would have just said, no, it's, it's game over. And prior to that fight I'd given up my job I was a high school teacher and I'd done that for probably about seven years up to that point and you know to pass up a job Monday nine, Monday to Friday 95 where you're getting a, a nice regular income every single month and the bills are getting paid to pass up that job to then go and become an MMA fighter where you don't know where your next buck's coming from put a lot of pressure on myself and a lot of pressure on my family but pushing to that fourth fight in that contract that then pushed me on to, the, to, to be an MMA fighter. Uh, started putting in more hours in the stand-up, started putting more time into my development as conditioning, and then I seen it as a whole package. So it was a conditioning, it was a rehabilitation through the yoga, through the massage, through the stretch, and through all the uh, accessory work. And then it was, uh, as I said, the nutrition to try and push me on to that next, uh, that next level. And if you see what I was when I first started the UFC, physically-wise and mentally-wise, to what I am now, well, well, the two guys are night and day. 
there's like uh, quite a lot to unpack there and sticking to the Ankalaya fight because I wanted to ask you about that because as you pointed out it was you were on a four fight contract that was your last fight you were on a two fight losing streak and during that fight I mean firstly I have to say like style wise if you haven't watched your fight against Ankalaev in comparison to your fights some of your more recent fights where you're winning by submission in the first round it's like watching a different fighter like and and not even in a negative way because you know you're throwing a lot of kicks you're throwing some spins you're throwing something and you know a, a lot of people don't necessarily think of you in that way and I, I was watching it go, and I remember watching the fight originally and just being like oh my god one second to go and he's pulled it off this is amazing <laughs> and but I forgot about just like stylistically you seemed very different yep but can you talk us through the like you've talked about the emotions leading up to the fight I'm assuming you were aware that Despite the fact that I think you were doing all right in that fight, you, you, judges' scorecards probably had it for Ankalaev. Yep. And you are probably thinking in that last round, he's on top of you. He's known as being like one of these kind of like Dagestani wrestling types. Um, and that clock is running down and running down. And you're not just running down to the end of the fight and potentially a loss. You're running down to this is the end of my UFC career. And as you've just mentioned, maybe the end of your MMA career. Can you talk about the emotions going through your head? If there were any at all, other than just avoid this punch and try and throw up a triangle or what was going on in your brain? Yeah, I was definitely in the moment. The whole experience, like from walking out from start to finish of that fight was an emotional roller coaster. I remember walking out and hearing my walkout music and I nearly cried like, there was that much emotion because, like, I know, as, as I said, it's to be this tough guy or I need to be, but at that exact moment, I wanted nothing more than to cry because there was so much pressure on me. I had taken my team in this journey and I had so many people relying on me. And as you, as I was saying about the family and then now going back to, now going back to look at teaching with my tail between my legs as if I failed. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be I failed. It should be I took an opportunity and I and I succeeded. I did succeed. And I remember that last ten seconds, and you know you hear the wood banging against the table, and I can hear uh, John Gooden, and I can hear um, uh, Dan Hardy, Dan Hardy, and I can hear them because I'm so close to them, and you can hear everything. And because you're in this point of fight or flight, everything is in slow motion. And I was like, and I remember just thinking about my kids and thinking my oldest daughter has to go to school on Monday morning and everybody's going to say to you, your dad's lost and your dad get beat up for 15 minutes and your dad is on the UFC. And I was like, it's all or nothing now. And I just timed that shot, flung it up and I willed absolutely every bit of muscle I had in my leg, every bit of power, just to squeeze as tight as I could and finish this guy. And it worked. And uh, it's always going to be one of the greatest moments in my life because as I said, at that, at that moment, that is the phoenix rising from the ashes. And I remember standing up, I could barely stand. And my teammate, Chris Bungard, had come over the cage and jumped me for the back and was all was giving me this hug. Now, at this point, I didn't realise what had happened. I was just so emotional. He jumped to my back and uh, I thought I was getting jumped off the, 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 the corner. And I thought I was getting jumped off his corner. And I'm turning around, you can see the fear in my eyes. And I remember after, it, after the fight, you know, we go out 
And uh, my coaches are they give me they give me a speech after every fight, and it's it, it's very motivational. And I remember just going into the toilets and just crying wow. because I just had to I had to let everything out because I it just everything was just on top of me. And I remember just going into the toilets, still in my my UFC gear, still with a hole in my chin, broken ribs, and just had a good cry at myself and just released all just released all that emotion, and then change totally changed me and. Life's about experiences in it. If we can learn anything, it's about experiencing what what you do in the, the tough times. One of the experiences that we like to ask fighters, Paul, when they, they come on this podcast, is their kind of process in those moments before you get the the shout that you, you're up and you've got to make that walk out to the octagon. We've had so many different kind of people. Some say they sleep, which seems crazy. And, and some people say, you know, they, they just what, do a bit of pad work. What's your process before you get that, that call to walk out? It's, a, it's quite a tough process because what I try to do is I try and mimic it as best as I possibly can. Every training session I go into, I'll have the same warm-up. I'll do the same breathing technique. And I'll do the same routine as best as I possibly can. So it makes it less alien for me. So rather than doing something that's not normal to me like oh I do this for a fight and only a fight because then it become I only get to experience it once every couple of months so what I try and do is I try and desensitise myself to the emotions so do it every training session listen to crowds so that was the first time with crowds in nearly a year and a half so it was a way back in November in uh, Brazil the last time we had a crowd so it was about listening to the crowd uh, I use a lot of visualisation, so not just being in the octagon, visualising myself being in there, but that walk, that walk's one of the toughest things you're ever going to have to do because you've got this camera in your eyes blinding you and then you've got to then go and get your checks and I visualise it all and you visualise the fans booing and you visualise the fans cheering and it all comes down to that desensitisation and then it's about hitting pads and getting that first wind out expelling all that energy and hearing that noise of that pad crack because that's one of the things that like right be ready if that pad isn't making the right noise and it sounds silly but if that pad isn't making that right noise then we're not ready we need to take a wee bit longer to hit that pad to get sat you know that sweet noise and it's a good slow mac then it's hand wrapping time and uh, I will always wear a red bracelet around my wrist and this red bracelet uh, it's just a bit of string and it's all the blood all the sweat and all the tears that full camp goes into this bracelet and the only time that bracelet comes off is after the fight when you cut off the wraps and it's inside the wraps and I'll put a brand new one off on every single fight I do so that's quite symbolic for me I'll take a picture of my family my two daughters and my, my partner and put, I'll put it inside my glove it'll be wrapped up um, and that's that's my ritual and then it's it's game time and I do this thing and not not a lot of people know I do it because you won't be able to hear it and I hum I hum and I I reverberate my teeth mm, and it, it sort of resets me getting ready to go but I hum into my teeth so that, uh, that the noise is um, what I experience walking out there and it's just that hum it's, it sounds silly but that's the first time I've ever told them about that that's amazing but I mean the, the, the thing that's blown me away the most is you've got a picture of your family in the glove mm-hmm. I, I didn't know whether that would be al- that would be allowed is that not like a a foreign only, object only, or something like that. It's only a tiny bit of paper, yeah. and it's it goes it goes in there, and it's all taped up. The tape's harder than yeah. the actual picture. Um, I've actually had the I've actually had the picture. I was in a state where they wouldn't want to put it in. I think it was Vegas. The it was in Vegas, and the boxing commission was like 
Minneapolis or somewhere like that. That was the the, the sanction commission, and they had said, "No, no, you're not allowed in." Whereas everybody, every other state, every other place I've been to has allowed me, and I had to put it inside my cup, just so family. <laughs> it was just, it's just honestly, it's a wee tiny picture, and, I, and we. You don't want to get any paper cuts down there, though, mate. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't. Quick circumcision there. Um, so, and what we'll do is, I've got one more picture left of that batch, and then we'll take new ones. And then we'll have a brand new picture, and they're all different pictures. It's just me and my kids, um, just in like a wee photo booth. And then there'll be brand new pictures for the next one. And the same again when it comes to songs. Excuse me. I'll use the same song three times. Three's my number. I've worked out because when I used four, I lost. So I was like, three's my number, and I'll always have that song for three more times. Wow, that's amazing. I absolutely love I mean, that. You, you mentioned <clears throat> um, when you was going in that last round and there was no crowd there and you could hear um, John and, and Dan Hardy uh, commentating. Like, t- Talk a little bit more about um, what it was like fighting in, in empty arenas and, and how much of like what you can, you know, what can you, can you hear everything? You know, it, you know I just, I imagine like when, when there's a full crowd there, you're not hearing the commentators and, you know, do you just at that point tune in to just your corner uh, or, yeah, I'm more interested in the kind of what it was like that first time you fight in a, in a, in an empty arena, just the complete difference of, of, yeah. of sort of, you know, so, sonically. This being an entertaining sport and being the crowd, we've always grown up with the crowd being there. So by the time we get to fighting in the apex in Las Vegas um, and there's no crowd and the place is empty and the only thing you can really hear is like the commentators and you can hear them you can't hear words for word what they're saying you can catch out maybe like two or three words but what that means is when you're in the octagon we can hear you can hear every single kick every single punch and um, but you can also hear your corner that bit clearer and because you're tuned into their voice, you can even hear them when it's noisy outside. So when the place is erupting, you can still hear your corner because your ears tuned to hear that dialect, and your ears tuned to hear that the numbers are they like so it'll be like it'll tell you fling one, it'll tell you fling two, and we'll work specific numbers for that. So although you can hear people, it's very very hard to pick people out. But going back to my very first time I fought in Glasgow, that crowd was overwhelming and it consumed me. It was just too emotional for me. Um, I couldn't hear Bruce Buffer call my name. You know, I'm standing in the octagon across from my opponent and I could lip read Bruce Buffer saying Paul, Baird, you, Craig, but the noise and the love that I felt in Glasgow was something that's going to live with me the rest of my life. Even now, like the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up because it's, it's an amazing experience to find your hometown. Yeah. And I'd love to rectify that again. And even in London, it was exactly the same. Like the love I felt from as being a UK fighter, although Scotland's my home, I'm still a UK fighter and I, and I still appreciate being part of that group. So the emotion and the love that you, that you hear down in these places are amazing. And then you go to uh, in Arizona and I'm getting booed. Like, <laughs> and I'm going to Brazil and people are telling me they sort of got a chant and it's basically like, you're going to die. And uh, so feeling the love in our country is nice, but feeling the hate just, you know, like it's, it's great, it fuels you up because you, you, you want to turn them around. You start off with them hating you and then as you leave the octagon, they, they, they love you. That's the sport we're in. I was in Glasgow uh, that night 
uh, I don't think I'd ever heard a crowd like that. It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Ariel Harwani had named them like the the best crowd of that year. Just they were so wild, um, and then I, I genuinely cannot believe that noise. And what made that even worse was all that love and all that respect I had from my the from the UK and from Scotland and then I get knocked out and I can't even remember I can't even remember because I remember that that was pretty much the last thing I remember from that fight and I lost like probably about an hour's worth of my, my time in that through the, the knockout um, and I remember walking to the to the ambulance with my coach and I kind of wake up and it's like having a having a Sega and somebody just keeps hitting reset, dink, dink, and it keeps going, Sega, resets. <laughs> that was going through my, that, that's always happening in my head. I kept resetting and I remember just walking to this ambulance and uh, I go to my coach and I go, Brian, what happened? And he says, we're going to the hospital. And then I go, did we win the fight? And he says, I'll tell you later. So we walk this wee bit further and then that, somebody hits that, Sega, and resets again, <laughs> Brian, where are we going? And he's like, going to the hospital. Did I win? And he was like, no, he didn't. Next time we're in the ambulance and I'm like, Brian, where are we? And he's like, you're going to the hospital and you didn't win. And then reset again, boom. I hear the ambulance sirens going now this time. And I'm like, <laughs> I kind of, Brian, what happened? And he's like, Paul, you get knocked out, you didn't win, and you're going to ask me this again. <laughs> and then we end up going to we end up we end up going to the hospital, and everything's good. There's no there's no long term damage. There's nothing nothing serious happened to me there. It was just this the first time I'd ever experienced a knockout and this sort of reset, 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 and then just Brian, my coach, like trying to try to manage that situation because we'd never been in it before. And he's trying to start sort of very diplomatic. No, no, we'll talk about it. You're absolutely fine. And then, but then he's like, Nah, yeah. You get knocked out, and uh, you're going to ask me again, so don't bother. <laughs> so it's, it's a beautiful sport, and as you're saying, Glasgow, man, it's just a wild, wild mm. place, um, and I love it. And I'd love to, I'd love the UFC to come back here um, this year. I'd love what I would love is another UK show uh, within this side of the year, not to travel somewhere. And as we've spoke about, you know, COVID's coming to the end now, or it's it's, it's more managed. And it'd be amazing to give the UK fans an actual an event Absolutely. to go to. Yeah. And with yeah. no no restrictions, you know, to sit with our friends, have a few beers, and watch some amazing fights. So that's what uh, that's what I'd love to have uh, before the in the December this year, and have have that. And like I'm thinking somewhere like London, you know, London's a place where they love to go. To, so that's where my that's where my fight against Ryan Spann before COVID hit was cancelled and I'd love to go back there and, and do it. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I think, I don't know if it's like fully confirmed yet or not, but I've I've heard there is a London card being planned. I mean, the, all these things, <laughs> winky, winky. Uh, uh, I think that, um, yeah, as far as I'm aware, it's being planned, uh, but obviously with the way that things keep happening and delaying of kind of, getting completely back to normal and all that kind of stuff. I suppose nothing is set in stone, so yep. we'll have to wait and see. But one thing I, that I, we... I, I, just, just before you move on there, so I can tell you I've got a fight for round about that time. Oh, I was going to ask. I listen, I can't tell you who it is, but I can tell you it's the biggest name I could possibly get. That's how good this fight is. Ah, oh, you can't well, tell that. Oh, you can't give that to us. <laughs> so, all right. This I literally, is, I literally, this... I literally signed the contract this morning. The contract came <sighs> in. We, 
we'd we'd been saying, listen, we want a top ten opponent. We are, we want either Johnny Walker, uh, Krylov, or. Uh, that's who I picked because I mean, we do this thing after a big fight club where we're like who do we think they should fight next and I'm always worried that fighters might get pissed off about that because I'm like oh. you've just had a weight cut and a fight and now some idiot at home is going fight this guy now or something like that but I picked Krylov or Uzdemir because I thought you got to go up the rankings but could, could I mean look this is an audio medium so there's no yeah. no one can see you Paul so if you want to do anything <laughs> visual to let me know what's going on Listen, listen, listen. I asked listen, for Uzdemir or Krylov. Is it one of those? It's not one of those. <laughs> right? it's not a name. But listen, it's a big name. It's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big, big name. And this, this will put me in the top echelon of uh, this division. I promise you, see when the name comes out, everybody's going to go. Oh, I cannot wait. Stand up for this thing. <laughs> I, this, look, like, this, see, what I'm hearing about this London card, again, we don't know what's happening, but yep. what I'm hearing about it is it sounds amazing. <laughs> Everyone's on it. And it sounds so good. What I've heard is uh, just just through like uh, the internet, and it was uh, Tills being Tills potentially going to be the headliner, and he's booked to fight Brunson. So I'm imagining it'd be Till Brunson. That's what I think. But I can tell you, I'm not fighting five rounds, so that potentially means I'm not going to be co-main event, or I'm not going to be main event. But this this guy I'm fighting hey it could even be a woman I, 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 I can't even tell you this person I'm fighting is, uh, is it Valentina Shevchenko are you fighting <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko does anybody want to fight him um, no no so, absolutely not exactly um, so it, it, it's it could easily be main could easily be main event I, I, I promise you that wow it's it's um, it's beautiful. I, I signed the contract at half five this morning, and I, I wouldn't, I couldn't even go back to sleep because I was so excited. Oh my god! I want to tell every, honestly, I want to tell everybody about it, and I can't. The UFC are like, they they love to release the fights, and uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you. But all that means is, hey, I'm I'm playing a smart game here. All that means is you just have to get me back on. That's all that is. <laughs> that is all that means. Oh, I can you know, I can think of two people that it might be. I don't know. 
Oh, you know what? When we hang up, I'm going to ask you loads of questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you so we're going to say goodbye, but you need to stay on the line. <laughs> oh, man, that is that's so exciting. I cannot. I mean, in terms of that, I mean, I think we are winding down towards the end. Look of at the you trying to hurry up and get of... it all finished so you can ask him more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> all right. Bye, Paul. Yeah, see you later, mate. Bye. Yeah, Paul, what's going on? What's I'll, be one, I'll be one of the moments where it's like uh, the audio will just go on it. Like I'll be telling you as an audio just. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to use but that sound of your teeth just buzzing as you do your little work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, it's like I, I, I genuinely I, I can't explain how excited I'm for this fight. And as I said, like we want, we always want big fights, and we always want to be pushed up. And this is the guy that puts me in the mix. So exciting. Wow. Puts me in the mix for that title contention. Oh, man, I'm so you, excited I, I, for I you. I can see your faces. Your faces are like... like mm, <laughs> the thing it. is, I was like, I think I know who it is. And then I saw a couple of other names because I pulled up the rankings. I was like, well, it might actually be this person instead. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Um, yeah, uh, but like when you're going into like a fight camp, people, people will now, especially after your last few wins, say, oh, Paul Craig... He's a real specialist. We've really got to be careful about the jujitsu. Like people know what to worry for. So when you're going into a camp, are you like, I I expect my jujitsu to be just so much better than everyone's that I'm just gonna drill that that thing so much that makes me, you know, the lethal fighter that I am? Or are you thinking, right, well, they they they're worried about the jujitsu, so I need to make sure that I'm putting loads of extra time into my striking because they're going to be combating that. How do you balance your camp? It's, it's pretty like, so the jiu-jitsu is my, that's what I love. I love that about the sport. Not that I don't love sparring, I don't love striking, I don't love hitting pads. I just love jiu-jitsu. It's pretty much two guys going up against each other and it's it's it's, it's flowy. We, there's loads of transitions and I love the learning for that. Even though I got my black belt, I am still not the finished article in jiu-jitsu. So I don't see that as like a, a session. I don't see that as like, oh, I've done like six sessions a day because I've done an, an hour of jiu-jitsu because I love that. What I work on is I work on where my coach believes I'm weak. So I'm actually a really good striker. And uh, for a long time, I was trying to lean in to be a striker. But that's not what I am. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy. So what I need to do is lean to the jiu-jitsu, use my striking to get into be a jiu-jitsu guy. And... I've, I've kind of found that balance now. People are scared of my jiu-jitsu, so now I'm going to have to take the striking to the next level. I'm going to have to put more time into it, and that's what it's going to be for this camp. This camp is going to be heavily striking-dominated. Loads of boxers, loads of amateur boxers for that sort of movement so that when it comes to fight time, it's not going to be unnatural for me. And we've seen in the past, like the very first time I fought Shogun, he was so expecting me to shoot. That's why I... I did so good in the striking because he expected me to shoot. So he was worried and that's why he was caught with, with my hands. And then the second time when I fought him, he was so expecting me to come out guns blazing, ready to spar and ready to fling hands that when the, the takedown was there, it was so much easier. So it's about constantly developing and not being this one-dimensional fighter. And I think I've shown that like within my, my, my fights. If I, if I grab this person uh, come September... And he feels like he's going to the ground and I feel like I'm confident here. I'm going to drag him down and I'm going to take him into deep water. That's what I'm looking for. But he's very good at jiu-jitsu as well. 
and he's very, very good at striking. So this, this is my test. Wow. Well, best of luck, I'm mate. thinking of something to say, but my cogs are still turning wait. now, trying to still work out. Genuinely, like, I can't say anymore, honestly. I am. I'm going to tap myself up here. I'm just going to be like, before we wrap up, one of the things that is really apparent is that you're a great talker. And obviously you said you was a teacher, so, you know, you're, you're very good at presenting yourself. Uh, I mean, Blake mentioned it beforehand. You know, you're quite easy on the eye. Like, and... Uh... I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I did say that. All right? I said, he's a good-looking lad. Stu took the mick out of me for it. I don't care. I think you're a good-looking lad, Paul, and I think it's okay for another man to say to another man that he's a good-looking man. Well, listen, That's listen, fine. I, I look at guys and I'm like, how are you doing? You don't know what's around the corner for yeah. So... So with that in mind, um, just looking way ahead into the future now, you know, post, post-fighting post career, you know, is that something that you can, you know, you think about? Is that the media side of things something that, you know, that interests you? Like, It, it definitely does interest me. But the only issue I've got is my actual Scottish accent so thick. So I'm putting on, like, I have, I have to slow everything down I'm saying so people understand me. It's not as bad when we're going from, like, within the UK to UK. It's, it's it's easier but when I'm going the UK to America like they cannot understand me and they're like they're like get subtitles the subtitles 90% of the stuff I do just because it's so thick so what I would need to do is I need to actively work on changing my accent and then it then comes into this like do you go for that fake either go for the fake Jared Butler one you know the one you talk to <laughs> it's, it's like it's like a poor man's yeah. Sean Connery where Sean John has your fake accent and he talks you like this. Or you go for the Begbie. Like, so, <laughs> hey, what's happening, mate? So you need to kind of find this this accent. And uh, I generally would love to uh, go into the world of presenting, acting, just expressing myself. But I hate listening to myself because I talk some amount of trash. Like, when I listen back, I'm like, ah, oh, Paul, what did you say that for? Come on. And I get all embarrassed. So... Uh, I, although I come across maybe to yourself as as as, as being uh, articulate, I'm ve- like when I watch it back, I'm like, oh, stop talking, Paul. <laughs> stop it. So um, no, I, I generally would like to do something like that, but um, who knows what the future brings for you in the world of MMA? It's a it's a tough old sport. But I have said previously, my number's thirty five. Like I don't want to do this well into my 40s. I don't want to be creeping up to 40 and still getting punched in the face for a living. I don't want my daughters to see that as the only the only thing I can do. I want my daughters to see that having a dream and getting to a point and then not going any further is all right. It's about knowing your limits because it's a tough sport. And the last thing I want to leave the sport is with, with a couple of extra pounds in my pocket and a couple of brain cells missing. I don't want that. I want to be sharp. I want to be I want to be myself because that's what makes us us. That ability to talk, that ability to hold conversations. Whereas we we all know boxers and we all know athletes who have taken too many head headshots and the and you can see them starting to slow down. I don't want that to be me. So 35 is my number. And everybody keeps saying, Paul, stop saying that's your number. I'm like, no, no, that's my number. And I'm confident in myself that I can walk away from the sport. I can genuinely walk away from the sport and, and be happy with what I've done. Yeah, and and so you should be. I mean, you're on a great, great win streak at the moment. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's a five-fight win streak because that uh, 
draw was not a draw with with Shogun that first one, and you got some really clearly very exciting stuff coming coming your way. Hopefully, in a few months, maybe. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> if everything goes well with the UK opening up, it it it, sh- it should be London. It should be London. Yeah. But this fight's happening no matter what. As I said, I've signed Brilliant. that contract. We can push it back a month, two months. I'll even push this back a year. That's how good this is. Wow. Well, Paul, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. We we were really excited about having you on. And yeah, it's been brilliant. And you shouldn't worry about how you sound on things. I think you're incredibly articulate. And I don't think you'll look back on this interview at all and think that you should have stopped talking. I think you've been been brilliant, mate. Thank you so much. No, absolutely. I really appreciate it. And honestly... I appreciate what you're doing, man. You're bringing MMA into the UK, and I, I love it because it's we're we're still way behind uh, the US in regards to MMA coverage, but also MMA itself. And by you guys putting products out there, you're then bringing the next generation of young athletes into the world of MMA by inspiring them. So, guys, honestly, I appreciate everything you're doing for the sport. Amazing. No, thank you, mate. That's really kind. Thank you very much. We'll we'll hang up now. Don't, Don't actually hang anywhere. up. Tell us what's going on. But yes, we're hanging up with Paul Craig right now. Don't you dare hang up, Paul. <laughs> wow, well, there you go. Oh wow. Yeah, he just he just hung up. He didn't he didn't yeah. stay on the line and yeah. tell us some really exciting brilliant news yeah, that we're nothing. now not allowed to tell people yeah just just flicked but, us uh, the v's and went we got yeah no, we got nothing we've got nothing, nothing. he told us nothing dana <laughs> he, he told us nothing but i'm very excited for reasons completely unrelated <laughs> to weirdly the I end of that really conversation as well yeah <laughs> Oh, this is actually a little bit torturous to do this to the listeners, isn't it? Oh, we know yeah. something you don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, everything else aside from from obviously that uh, that little carrot we're leaving dangling. Um, what an absolute dude he was! Oh man, yeah, just such a great, like, just again, nice guy. Yeah, uh, just I mean. The way he was talking about uh, uh, the Jamal Hill submission as well, and like it's like a bit of wet spaghetti or something like that. I mean, I can't imagine how that must feel. Um, but then, I mean, also the, the horrible situation of unfortunately people uh, probably stupidly thinking they're doing Paul some kind of favour by going into. Jamal Hill's like Twitter or DMs or whatever it is and abusing him racially abusing him you know I mean it's just absolutely disgusting and um, uh, Paul was brilliant in kind of saying you know how much he's nothing to do with him he does not condone it and he's he's really feels for Jamal to have to have gone through that that's that's awful and and that beef makes a lot more sense now as well but what's a beautiful thing that I don't think we necessarily got into enough was that after all that and after they'd had a chat about it they're in the club drinking together yeah. you know they're, they're having a nice time they're having a dance together and all that stuff and that is in, in, in so many ways kind of symbolises where we as a planet should be going towards you know it's, it's lovely and it's also something that you know the, the UFC and, and you know other organisations should definitely kind of you know utilise clips of such moments really wisely as well because there will always be people that, 
you know, get the wrong impression of what, you know, mixed martial artists are as people and, and you know, and, and, and hate on the sport because they, you know, they see the brutality of it and... Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you see them shared moments of mutual respect and love and, you know, and and, and, and socialising and, you know, it's their friends, you know, that's that stuff that I think is a really good, you know, a really good kind of poster for, for mixed martial arts. I could, couldn't agree more. That is, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, and then back to the interview, I love the fact that he's got a picture of his family and his gloves. Mm. <laughs> Imagine that. If he's not a terrifying looking dude as it is, he's just humming. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> um, I'm going to kill you. Um. <laughs> oh, man. No, but what a nice guy. I do think he's got a great. Uh, career ahead of him Fucking in right, terms yes. of like broadcasting <laughs> no, but you know what I mean yeah. I, I, well I don't I don't what you're getting at but I, I, I think that you know in terms of broadcasting and stuff you know I, I think he talks so well I, yeah. I understand what he's saying about the accent I'm sure Bisping had a more a thicker accent like you probably watch him on the the Ultimate Fighter that he was on was that the third mm. series of the Ultimate Fighter and I bet there's Americans out there that were like, what's he saying? And then he's kind of maybe slowed it down and cleaned up his accent a little bit. And now he's doing broadcasting. I'm sure Paul Craig could do a, a similar thing. But as you say, it's like, well, it's kind of who you are or whatever. Maybe you don't want to change that. But uh, I, I think he could do it. I think he speaks incredibly well. And uh, and, I, and he does look nice. I'll say it. I'll say it again. Yep. I think he's a good looking man. That's it. Three times um, in one day. <laughs> um... But yeah, no, I, I, there was a, it was a, a lovely, lovely chat, and there's some, oh, some really exciting stuff going forward for Paul Craig and every one of his fans. Absolutely right. We'll see you next time. In the meantime, um, go check out the back catalogue. If this is your first time listening to the MMA Fan Podcast, then you've missed some absolute crackers. You can hear us talking to, I mean, a who's who of Cage Warriors. We've just recently put out some some uh, spectacular. Uh, specials there in the lead up to their trilogy events um, you can hear us talking to fellow uh, Scottish uh, mixed martial artist Jojo Calderwood yep. uh, Paddy Pimlet Molly McCann um, who else who else we've had Arnold Allen we've had uh, I mean again I don't know in what order yeah. everything goes up but Arnold Allen is available we've had Angela Hill recently Jack Shaw uh, Jack Shaw Brett Johns uh, God, the list goes on and on. We've done really well yeah. lately. We've had some really cracking guests on. Uh, and we've uh, we've also got the fight or flight guests as well and the kind of celebrity guests where it's been, you know, like Emily Head, Laura Checkley, James Arthur, Ben Shepard, Lee Mack. And uh, we're actually doing a few more records today. Don't know what order they'll go out in, but we've got some really exciting stuff coming your way uh, on top of that as well. Absolutely. So- oh, there's, there's one more. Um... Oh, UFC world champion uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, with uh, oh yeah, remember? oh 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 that oh that featherweight guy, the one that's, that has yeah, the belt, that, that UFC yeah. world champion. Oh yeah, Alexander yeah. Volkanovsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. And yeah, we've got some great <laughs> some great episodes coming up. So the best thing to do there is just subscribe, and then uh, yeah, and there's also going to be like our kind of. Uh, 
our pre and post fights, we've got our little gang with um, Brian Lacey and, and Scroobius Pip, and, and they're going to be back, and we're going to be looking ahead towards the uh, the Connor card um, when that drops soon. So yes. there'll be some more shows with them back on the on the uh, on the microphones. But yeah, subscribing you won't miss anything, and give us a follow on the socials as well because we're on all the all the usual places. And we is out. We're out. Bye, guys. Sega resets, Sega resets, Sega resets.